I wonder how much this scene here this morning looked like this scene when Jesus was born. I mean, outside of the, the wise men weren't there at the stable, I don't believe, but uh, cows wandering around, you know, uh, <laughs> things like that. Uh, what do shepherds, innkeepers, carpenters, and a young teenage girl have in common? Really, I don't think much. In fact, as we, as we talk about uh, our, kind of the theme of, of the sermon today is resumes, I don't think they would really, any of them, have much of a resume. You know, if they, if, if, if they at that time, were looking for a job and they went to create a resume, I don't think they would have a whole lot to put on it, to be honest with you. Um, I, I read some, you know how they have those funny things that, that people actually put on their resumes that when they turn them in? I have a few of those for us this morning. Um, let's see, this person said, education. Curses in liberal arts, curses in computer science, curses in accounting. Of course, they meant courses, right? But misspelled it every time. Uh, instrumental in ruining entire operation for a Midwest chain store. <laughs> it's amazing what one letter will change the meaning of a sentence, right? Um, personal, married, 1992 Chevrolet. I have an excellent track record, although I am not a horse. Now, that one I would actually find funny. Uh, but uh, I am a rabid typist. Okay, she meant rapid, right? With a P, not a B. Uh, created a new market for pigs by processing, advertising, and selling a gourmet pig mail order service on the side. Uh, exposure to German for two years, but many words are not appropriate for business. <laughs> okay, maybe not get you the job, I don't know. Proven ability to track down and correct errors, and errors is spelled with one R. <laughs> Personal interests, donating blood, 15 gallons so far. <laughs> wow. Well, Paul, Paul gives mention to some of the things on his resume in the passage that we're going to look at today. And he also gives us their worth. And so if you would turn with me to uh, Philippians chapter 3, verses 1 through 14. Uh, I'll go ahead and read that now as we start this morning. Philippians chapter 3, verses 1 through 14. Finally, my brothers. So Paul's kind of entering the, the ending of his, of his letter. Finally, my brothers, rejoice in the Lord. It is no trouble for me to write the same things to you again, and it is a safeguard for you. Watch out for those dogs, those men who do evil, those mutilators of the flesh, for it is we who are the circumcision, we who worship by the Spirit of God, who glory in Christ Jesus, and who put no confidence in the flesh. Though I myself have reasons for such confidence, if anyone else thinks he has reasons to put confidence in the flesh, I have more circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, in regard to the law of Pharisee, as for zeal, persecuting the church, as for legalistic righteousness, faultless. But whatever was to my profit, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss compared to the surpassing greatness of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them rubbish, that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness that comes from God and is by faith. 
I want to know Christ and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of sharing in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, and so somehow to attain to the resurrection from the dead. So in verse 1, Paul says that he wants us to remember. He's, he's, he says, I'm writing these same things to you. He's written them before in this letter to the Philippians. He's, write, he's written them in previous letters. And he says that's, it's, it's for our own good. It's for our safeguard that he's writing these things. And we need to pay attention to these. We need to be continually reminded of the basics of our faith. Who is Jesus? Why did he come? What did he do when he was here? And where is he now? These things Paul reminds us today. And in this section, Paul's tone really does change a bit. He's, he's still a very loving man, and so far he's talked about joy and joy and joy and happiness and happiness. But here he shifts as he tackles a conflict that's happened in his own life, I believe, for years and years. The struggle between works and grace. The struggle between being number one according to the law and that not being enough and, and his life under Jesus Christ. There have been numerous people that have confronted Paul with works righteousness. People who have been proclaiming this particular message saying, no, this is the truth. And Paul coming against that and saying, no, 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 listen to me. Listen to me. I saw him. I, I experienced it. Believe this. And some of those messages came while he was in prison. He couldn't even necessarily defend himself and, and yet is through this letter here. Paul shows us, essentially, that we can be loving and gracious and yet stand up for what's true and what's right. His words are important for us today because there are progressives out there trying to rewrite history, rewrite spirituality, Rewrite truth with a capital T. There are many in our day and age false religions. You may know them. Uh, Paul actually says that we should avoid religion altogether. He says that we should, number one in your notes this morning, is we should resist religion. We should resist religion. Have you ever had anybody ask you? Uh, have you ever had anybody say to you, uh, you know, questioning about your faith, and they say, well, what religion are you? What, what is your answer to that? I always answer that, well, I, I'm a Christian. I, I'm a follower of Jesus Christ. And they would almost always follow that up with, no, no, what church do you go to? Well, for, first of all, that's a denomination. That's not a religion. Uh, but, but that's never good enough for them. Secondly, Christian is... is Christianity is not a religion, but our world is confused by that, and maybe even you are here this morning. Um, a Christian is, first of all, someone who is a sinner saved by grace. Okay, a sinner saved by grace. They're also not a good person. We are not good people. But, 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 but so-and-so, he's such a good guy. Well, not really. I, if There was somebody that uh, attended here at one time, and they would always ask me how I'm doing. Hey, Pastor Dave, how are you today? And I said, ah, I'm good. And they're like, no, nah, no, you're not. That's not the correct answer. No one is good. Paul says no one is good, right? So then I figured it out. Well, it's I'm doing well. That's actually, my mother would be happy with that too. Um, I'm doing well, doing well. So I am not a good person. 
And Jesus is a good God. And then the third thing that a Christian is, is it's someone who doesn't deserve God's love. His love is given to us as a gift. Uh, and all of that leads to joy in our life. Joy every day when we, when we live with our, our mind focused on the kingdom of God. Because ultimately the pressure is off. And, and we're going to see that today. This is contrasted with religious people, okay? Religion, and it's in your notes, religion substitutes rules and regulations for a relationship with Jesus Christ. And Paul says that, that people like that are dogs. Right there. He says they're like dogs. Now, he doesn't explain it this way, but they bite, they bark, they growl, and they dig holes. They cower in the corner when they do something wrong. Have you ever felt that way? I think God hates religion. I, I mean, I'm a religious person, and I would be the first to tell people that. I brush my teeth every day. I eat religiously. I shower religiously every Saturday night, whether I need it or not. Okay, that's religion. That's religion. Doing something over and over and over and over just because you always have. That's not a relationship. Religion says it's not just simply Jesus, but it's Jesus plus something. It's, it's Jesus plus anything, in fact. Paul, Paul mentions that they are mutilators of the flesh in verse 2. Now, he's talking about circumcision there. And, and those that didn't understand the truth were saying that you had to be circumcised to be saved. And then later on, they would say, well, yes, okay, you have to believe in Jesus, yes, but you also have to be circumcised. And circumcision was given by God to the children in Abraham's time as a symbol that they were God's chosen people, that they were a part of other nations. But it was preparatory for the coming of Jesus. It's, it's not that it's not the law anymore, um, or that the law isn't valid anymore, but when Jesus came, he changed everything. He fulfilled the law on our behalf. Some other examples of things that changed when Jesus came. Temple. We don't need it anymore. Um, we can worship God anywhere we find ourselves. Uh, priests, we don't need them anymore. We have Jesus. Hebrews says that he is our great high priest and that we can all come before the throne of grace through Jesus Christ. Sacrifices. Jesus is the once and for all sacrificial lamb who died for the sins of the world. We don't do animal sacrifices anymore. It is not required. Jesus fulfilled that part of the law. Matthew chapter 5 verses 17 and 18 says this, do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets, Jesus says. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. I tell you the truth until heaven and earth disappear, not the smallest letter, not the least stroke of a pen will by any means disappear from the law until everything is accomplished. The law is still in place. It is still a requirement, but because of our faith in Jesus Christ, he laid himself down. He has fulfilled the law on our behalf. Jesus takes place of all these things. So some were saying that we need circumcision and Jesus. And that, and that is, by definition, religion. It's Jesus plus anything. Now, that's hard. 
That's hard to live out, I think, because we always want to put something in there. Now, circumcision wasn't about salvation. Okay, it was about identification. We, we do make our own lists, however. I bet you have a list. I bet I, I, I have a list. I bet Paul had a list. And, and I want to call this list this morning our spiritual resume. Okay, our spiritual resume. Uh, we probably wouldn't come out and say it, right? <laughs> but we have all compiled a resume, a list of things that we think God values, and, and maybe even a list of things that in our minds might raise us above the level of the next guy, even though we're both believers in Christ. Because ultimately, that's, that's what we do with our resumes, right? I mean, you... You put everything, you tell your children when they're applying for a job, put everything that you've ever done good on the resume, right? I've heard people say, and I believe I've said this myself, do this community service thing. Be a part of this organization in high school so that when you graduate, you can what? Put it on your resume, which does what? hopefully, in the marketplace, raises you above all of the other options that that particular employer has. And we do that spiritually. We do that spiritually, unfortunately. Maybe on our spiritual resumes, we would find things like, I recycle. I do good. Uh, I love animals. I sacrifice for my family. Maybe those are some of the things that you would put on your spiritual resume. Maybe you put this. Uh, maybe a religious version of this would look something like this. Um, believe in Jesus and vote Republican. <laughs> believe in Jesus and speak in tongues. Believe in Jesus and get baptized. Believe in Jesus and take communion. We compile these resumes and we think that these things have to go together in order for salvation to occur, occur. And it's not true. It's Jesus plus anything, when it comes to salvation, ruins everything. Paul says that. Now, don't get me wrong. Those things are all good. I'm not saying that we shouldn't experience those things and we shouldn't be baptized and, and we shouldn't um, take communion. But we compile our resumes and somehow we think that that's a good thing. And that's our biggest challenge this morning. Because what, what then ends up happening is our resumes become our religion. And we hold to the resume and not what the Bible says. And, and really, simply, I'm just saying, we need to be aware of that, that that can happen and be intentional about not letting it happen because Jesus plus anything ruins everything. Resist religion, Paul says. Paul also says, number two, that our resumes are nothing. He says they're nothing. Look at verse four. Paul says that if anyone else thinks he has reasons to put confidence in the flesh, I have more, Paul says. And then he gives us a list of good things that he did. He gives us his resume. Paul gives us his resume. Um, and we're all going to stand before the judgment of, of God, and Paul says that if it were up to his resume, he would be the first in line. He would be number one. He would be the best out of all of us here this morning, I think, for sure. Now, uh, look, in verse 5, Paul says, circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin. So Paul is like a Gates 
or a, or a Kennedy. His family was a big deal. He was from a good family. He was actually from the family, the tribe of Benjamin. It says he was a Hebrew of Hebrews. So he was not only from a good family, his bloodline was pure. There was no bad breeding in his background in regard to the law. A Pharisee, Paul says. He was a Pharisee. Pharisees were the most religious of Jesus' day. They were devoted. They were sincere. They were very religious people. And in regards to the law, that was Paul. Paul saying, that was me. As for zeal, verse 6, persecuting the church, Paul was as zealous as they come. He killed Christians for his religion. And finally, at the end of verse 6, Paul says, as for legalistic righteousness, faultless. Now, that's a pretty serious claim. Faultless. There were over 600 rules that the religious leaders of his day had come up with. And Paul says that as far as that list, as far as that resume, those 600 did it. Check. Put that on your resume. I mean, this list is really incredible. But Paul says, whatever I gained from that, whatever that is, whatever profit he thought all those things were, they changed the moment he met Jesus Christ. Jesus changed it all. When it comes to righteousness, Paul says, none of it compares. None of it is good enough. In fact, he now counts them as what? Rubbish. Rubbish. Religious people have a resume. And Paul says, it's rubbish. Now, this, this rubbish, when we stand before God at the end and we have our resume in our hand, it should have only one thing on it. Right? Jesus. That's the only thing that counts for anything. Jesus. But as we live our lives, we, we, again, I'm not saying we don't do good things and we don't strive for good things. What we do, though, is we try to elevate ourselves above other people because of what we have put on our religious resume. And it's just not that way. What do you think makes you a good person? What, what do you think would give you good standing before God. Well, Paul says, whatever that thing is, as you think about your own religious resume, whatever those things are, Paul says it's rubbish. Now, rubbish, the word trans... It's, I'm sure we probably have at least half a dozen other translations of, of words here this morning, but rubbish really in our vernacular is poor. It, it's, it's not a very good translation. The Greek word is skubalon. It's skubalon. That's a cool word, isn't it? Kind of like it. Skubalon. But it's not really very cool at all. In fact, um, looking up the literal meaning of skubalon, it's any refuse as the excrement of animals, offscorings, dregs of things worthless and detestable. It's manure is the literal translation of that. You know, rubbish, you can get away with that, right? Take out the trash. And we've all sorted through the trash before, right? You've dropped something in there accidentally, a fork or a spoon or something. And 
you know, we're willing to go after that fork or that spoon in our trash can, but maybe not so much if it was manure. There may be a few ranchers here who would be willing to do that. So let's just step it up one more time. Let's say that, that, that you walk around in your backyard and then you come in the house and you smell something, right? And it only has to be just a little tiny bit. You know, you walked around where the dog left, you know, landmines, we call them, right? That's, that's, and here's the thing. Paul's not talking about sin here. Because we would all agree, oh, sin is terrible. It's awful. Paul is talking about our good deeds, our righteousness compared to God. It's rubbish. It's manure. Religion is that disgusting to God. But if that doesn't explain it well enough, let's go one step further. Okay, because maybe you're thinking, I've sorted through dog poop before. You know, my dog swallowed something like your wedding ring, right? Okay, I'm looking after that, right? Let's, let's look at Isaiah chapter 64, verse 6. All of us have become like one who is unclean, and all our, again, he's not talking sin, our righteous acts are like what? Filthy rags, and he's not talking shop rags, although sometimes that's pretty gross. No, the description here is used feminine products. That's the filthy rags that he's talking about here. Our righteousness looks like that. That's how they measure up. That's how much value they have. That's, that's religion. It's religious acts. Religion is about me. The gospel is about Jesus Christ. I want to say that if I obey God's rules, then he will love me. Have you ever thought about that? Have you ever thought about that? If I obey God's rules, then he will love me? Have you ever thought that way? True faith says, because because God loves me through Jesus, I am forgiven and loved, and I have the power to obey God. The, The cart doesn't come before the horse. I want to say that people are good, right? Have you ever heard the question, well, well what about, the, the, what about the, the person in the jungle that's never heard about God, you know? Would he condemn that good person to hell, right? That's, I've heard that question asked. Have you ever debated anybody and they've asked you that? Well, the first response to that is that person's not good. True faith says, because... True faith says we are just bad people. We're depraved, we're sinful, we're in need of a Savior. There are bad people, and then there's Jesus. Religion is about what I do. The gospel is about what Jesus has done. Our works, Paul says, are worthless. They're worthless. So we must rest in the finished work of Jesus Christ. Religion and our attempts at holding on to our resumes confuses sanctification and justification together. I'm going to explain that in the next post, in the next uh, point. But um, Jesus is the one that justifies us. Jesus is the only one that can justify us. 
And then after that, we are enabled, and we looked at this a few weeks ago, to work out our salvation. We hate to repent, right? I mean, who likes to admit that they're wrong, or that they've done something bad, or that they shouldn't have made that decision, or done that thing? We hate to say we're sorry and ask others to forgive us, but knowing our resumes are rubbish then puts us in the place where we're able to have some humility and some repentance. It allows us to say, I'm sorry, I sinned, please forgive me. Otherwise, we're holding things up and we're saying, but I deserve this. I don't deserve that. As we look at our resumes, we have an uncertainty of salvation, right? Am I good? Have you ever heard somebody say that? Well, I think I'm good enough. I I think I'll be in heaven because I've done enough good things. Well, wait a minute. Let's look at that because we're all on the same level when it comes to the truth of that statement. Um, We should be uncertain of our salvation if it's up to our resumes to get us in. John writes this, I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God so that you may know that you have eternal life. John says you can have assurance. We can be certain, but it's not our resume that that makes that certain. Now, religion exists in soft forms and hard forms, I think. Um, The soft forms say that if you want to go to heaven, you follow the golden rule, and then everything else is just sort of up for grabs. You just do good things. You help elder. You, you go pick up people when their car won't start, and you haul them to church. Check. Add that to my resume, right? Good thing. Did anybody, any of you do that this morning? No. See, I'm already ahead of you. Right? That's, that's, how, we, that's how we think sometimes. Hard religion says that if you want to be saved, if you want to be a Christian, there's a long list of don'ts. In fact, it's a, it's a long finger pointing at you, saying... You gotta do this and you gotta do this and you gotta do this, okay? It it points or don't do this. Don't drink, don't dance, get baptized, take communion. You have to speak in tongues. That's hard religion. Paul says that it's all rubbish. Religion believes that if you obey a list, you'll be okay. And if you believe that if you just obey a list and you'll be okay, then you've been deceived. Because Jesus never said that. Paul never said that. So when we stand before God at the great judgment and he asks us, why should I grant you eternal life? What, what is our answer to that? Because of Jesus. Because of Jesus. I have been covered with the blood of Jesus. You see, it's his resume that God sees when he looks at us after we've put our faith and trust in him. It's him. I heard a speaker one time, and, and he was uh, talking about this. He, he said, when I go to heaven, I want my wife there with me. What? Why, why would you want your... He said, because when God starts going through my list of things, you know, as he looks through Jesus to me, and he says that I did this, and I did this, and I did this, I want my wife there, because she's going to look at me, and she goes, you never did any of those things! You didn't do that! No! It's because Jesus Christ is the one that's on our resume. And our third point this morning is this. Christ's resume is everything. Christ's resume is everything. 
Verses 9 through 11, Paul says, I consider them rubbish that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness that comes from God and is by faith. I want to know Christ and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of sharing in his sufferings, becoming like him in death, and so somehow to attain the resurrection from the dead. Okay, we're going to talk about this. Paul says that he used to pursue righteousness. He, he's telling us how to be righteous. There's all of this good stuff. But then he says, no, our righteousness really comes from God, and it's by faith. But every other religion out there will tell you how you need to live your life to gain whatever it is. Heaven, good, what Buddhism says, cease all desires, then you will be righteous. Confucianism says pursue education, reflection, and live a moral life. Hinduism says detach yourself from the separated ego and live in unity with the divine. New Age says you should see yourself as connected to the whole of divine oneness and live in concert with all of creation. Taoism says you should align yourself with the Tao and literally go with the flow. But you've got to be aligned with the Tao. That's D-A-O, not D-O-W. Okay? Islam says you should live a moral life, do good deeds, and you will stand before Allah in the end, and if your good deeds outweigh your bad deeds, and if Allah picks you, if he so wills it, then you will be declared righteous. Wow, okay. Better be good then. Really good. No pressure there, right? Every single religious answer, both hard and soft, tells us that what's on our resume, that what we do, that's what's important. That's what we have to work on. But Paul tells us it's, it's Jesus who is the source of our righteousness. And that changes everything. What we believe is very different than any other world religions. Ours is grace and gift righteousness. Theirs is works righteousness. And Paul is reminding us, reminding us that it's only Jesus. It's only Jesus. God is holy and righteous, and we all die because sin results in death. So then how can God declare us righteous? How does that happen? He wouldn't be just if he just sort of, you know, lifted the corner of the proverbial rug and swept it under there and covered it up and said, see, it's all, it's all gone. I mean, that's actually what the law did for, for years. Animal sacrifice, it covered it over. It, it, it appeased God to a time until the ultimate sacrifice came, and then that sacrifice of Jesus was, was applied to past, present, and future people. God is able to maintain his justice and his love for us and forgive us and declare us righteous because of who? Jesus. He sees Jesus' resume, not ours. Both hard and soft religion believe that God doesn't demand perfection, but he does. He demands perfection. And there's no way, no way, Think of the most perfect person and the most compliant person and the most joy-filled person that you've ever met. Are they perfect? 
I mean, that's my wife. Yeah, you got to say something like that on your anniversary, right? I mean... only Jesus, it's only Jesus, because Jesus plus something else ruins everything. See, our justification is by faith. God justifies us. Jesus justifies us through his death and resurrection. He paid the price. It's not just swept under the rug. It's not forgotten. He experienced the penalty for you and for me himself. Paul explains it, uh, Martin Luther called it the great exchange. Paul explains it in 2 Corinthians 5.21 like this, God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. So that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Verse 10 speaks about our sanctification. Paul says, I want to know Christ and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of sharing in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death. Okay, we will suffer for Christ. We, we have the power for good now because he is in us. We are to be like him even unto death. And, and that's ultimately a process. It's the process of sanctification. A part of our following in his steps. As faithful crossbearers, we are not left alone. He's the one that empowers us to be able to do that after he has justified us. And having been justified, as God gives us power to follow him obediently and faithfully, no matter what those circumstances are. And then finally, we have verse 11, and we see our glorification, just to use the Asian again. In verse 11, Paul says, and so somehow to attain to the resurrection from the dead, which can make it sound like Paul's unsure of his salvation, but he's not unsure of his salvation. He's unsure of the process of the end of his life. He knows that when he passes from earth, he's going to be present with the Lord. He doesn't know what that's going to look like. Is it going to come with his head being lopped off? Is it going to come because of starvation? Is it going to come because of old age? Paul does not know how that's going to be attained, but it will. So Paul is acknowledging his lack of knowledge of the future. None of us know the future. We don't know how long we have on earth. We don't know what experiences we have down the road. If you leave here today and you haven't put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior and you die before you get home, it's not going to be good. But we know, what, however it happens, that as Christ followers, as Those who have been justified by Christ, we will attain the resurrection of the dead. We will be glorified. So we all stand at a crossroads. And the question I want to leave us here with this morning asks this. Are we going to cling to our resumes, our religious and moral credits that actually put us on the broad path that leads to eternal destruction, or are we going to forsake our resumes for the one that will put us on the narrow path, and that's Jesus Christ?
the resume that relies on and the resume that contains only one thing. Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ. Knowing Christ crucified, which leads to a living relationship with him and eternal life. It is that Savior's birth we celebrate a week from today. Focus on him this week. Listen to him. Worship him this week. Think about your own list and your own resume and, and, and hold that up next to Christ and, and let those things that you've put on that list go away. Erase them. Hit the backspace and delete them. Rely on him at all times. It's by grace. It's by grace. And only by the grace of God that we're saved. No resumes required or even accepted. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you. Thank you that as we think about eternal life and we think about salvation, our own and those around us, Father, I pray that we would see Jesus and Jesus only. Father, we know people that, that, that if, if we were to put our resume side by side with theirs, we would be heads above. And, and Father, I, I know that that leads to self-righteousness and arrogance. And I pray, Father, that you would help us to see those people that are around us, those people that we work with, those people that come into our businesses or our schools, those people that, that we hear people talk about. Father, I pray that you would help us to see them with your eyes and recognize that, that their righteousness doesn't come from their own acts. It comes from their faith and trust in you and you only. And I pray, Father, that, that we would allow ourselves to be used by you in order for them to take that first step. That we would recognize that you died for all. Not just people that we would say, are good or that we think are okay but you died for all I pray that you would help us to see our resumes as rubbish as filthy rags our, our righteousness and may this week as we anticipate the celebration Saturday night and Sunday morning of you coming that celebration that that this love that we've experienced because of you, that that love would flow out of us to other people and that it wouldn't just end on the 25th or the 26th, but it would go on for the entire year of 2017 and beyond because we truly understand how much you love us and why we are righteous. And Lord Jesus... You're so good. Draw our hearts in, Father, as we sing this final song of the day. Thank you for our children and, and, and how their simple faith, you say, it, it, that that's it. It's the faith of a child. 
simple, true, oftentimes seemingly pure. Lord, we want to we worship you with this last song because it is true. It's in Christ alone. And Father, I pray that, that as we give of our tithes and our offerings this morning, that you would that you would see that as well as a form of worship and honor. I pray for, for this church family, Father, and all of our friends and all of our acquaintances that this week would be truly special. Be an experience with you. In Jesus' name, amen. Please stand as us.